All right. As we mentioned this morning, please turn your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to go to chapter 2 tonight. You'll remember last week, we talked about a man who cared. And Nehemiah's caring heart really brought about something as God laid a burden on his heart. And tonight, we're going to look at a man who has faith. And we're talking about Nehemiah the same again. Nehemiah has a care for his people, for his ancestral city. And because he cared about the city of Jerusalem, he asked, he asked about the condition. He received a report that the city was in ruins. And we shared how he wept, he prayed, and he was willing to help the city to be restored. And, and again, we emphasize that, that God gave him that burden, and, and all of this started with a caring heart that Nehemiah has. And something else that it took to answer this burden, to be, to be willing to move forward to take care of the burden of the city of Jerusalem and the condition of the people there, is faith. And so, the answer for the burden the Lord placed on Nehemiah's heart was, was faith for him to move forward. Jesus says, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Nehemiah didn't know it yet, but he was about to join the reputation status of some very great servants of God, such as Abraham, Joseph, Joshua, Esther, David, and the, the list goes on and on. And so as we think about what's going on in Nehemiah's life, we, we might ask the question, how big a difference can one person make? You know, you, maybe in, in your zeal and being on fire for the Lord, you've had somebody tell you, hey, you can't save the world. And I think a good answer for that is, well, well we can't save anybody, but, but one at a time, we can lead the world to Jesus Christ. Our, our first thought, though, might be one person can't make much of a difference. But as we consider how God has used Nehemiah and is using Nehemiah and others, we see that one caring heart full of faith can make a big difference. If faith, as a grain of mustard seed, if a little bit of faith can move mountains and we have faith living within in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God can do more with us than we could ever imagine. As we look into the second chapter, we're going to look at some situations where Nehemiah's faith can be seen. And first of all, in verses 1 through 3, he remained behind the Lord. It says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever, why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Man, there's a, there's a whole lot here in stepping into this. First of all, the timeline we see at the beginning of the chapter here, it has been four months, roughly, since Nehemiah received a report on his ancestral city 
and his people back in Jerusalem. He became burdened months ago for rebuilding this city, rebuilding the wall. What's been going on in that four months? Well, it doesn't fit that Nehemiah was procrastinating. That wasn't it. It doesn't fit that Nehemiah was crawfishing, trying to get out of it, and and maybe wanting it to be laid on someone else's heart to do the work. That doesn't fit. Nehemiah was waiting on the Lord. He had a clear burden for, for exactly what he wanted to do, but we see that he was waiting on the Lord. Faith doesn't always and and usually doesn't react by getting up and just plowing forward. But you can think of faith with a stillness of heart to wait on the one whose strength we move forward in. In the last chapter of Nehemiah, he wept and he prayed. In this chapter, he waits and he prays couple of verses throughout God's Word that would tell us of waiting upon the Lord. Exodus 14, 13 says, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. A couple of years ago, we shared the book of Ruth on Wednesday nights, and, and so we're familiar with the scene of Boaz and Ruth and, and Naomi. And, and so after, after Boaz gave Ruth some barley, aside from what she had gleaned, she went back to Naomi and told her about it and, 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 and all of the things that seemed to be going on. And without getting into the story, I just want to make this statement that Naomi said to Ruth, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. And then there's the verse maybe you're all expecting, Psalms 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. This is what Nehemiah did. We are not wasting time when we are still and waiting upon the Lord. There is a lot going on when we will be still and wait on God. When we wait and we pray, we're building up to God doing something really big down the road in just a matter of time. There's some time that will go by to where God's going to be preparing His children, preparing circumstances for His children. Not that God needs time to prepare these things. It's really God getting us ready. You know, it's great to be willing, but then we need to remain behind the Lord until He gets us ready. So as Nehemiah remains behind the Lord with this burden that he's had for months on his heart now for Jerusalem, all of a sudden it's coming out. The king could see his sorrow. The king could see that there was something personally affecting his life. And that was a no-no in that day and time. I mean, you were there to serve the king. It was all about the king. Everything about, about your job was making sure that the king's need is met, that, that you are doing what the king wants you to do. I mean, there's a lot of kings, even Artaxerxes would, would terminate a servant for this. They would even take them as so far as to putting them to, to death for a situation like this. I mean, this is why Nehemiah has, has held this in, and, and he hasn't let it show through his countenance till now. But time has gone on, and, and he's starting to show, his heart's starting to bleed through, if you will. I'm going to turn over to the 102nd Psalm, and the first five verses would, would really describe Nehemiah's situation. The psalmist says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Hide not thy face from me. I 
In the day when I am in trouble, incline thine ear unto me. In the day when I call, answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as an hearth. My heart is smitten and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groanings, my bones cleave to my skin. This is where Nehemiah is in his burden for Jerusalem. But he is waiting upon the Lord. But the king has detected a heaviness in his cupbearer. And his reaction was not common for a king. I've already mentioned how a king might respond to this. And, and Nehemiah's days could have, could have been ended, uh, could have been terminated, could have been appointed to death. But Artaxerxes asks him why he's so sad. God's at work in the entire situation from every aspect. God doesn't leave anything out of a work that He's called us to do, of, of a burden that He's laid on our hearts. If Nehemiah would have moved forward before now and, 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 and just went out ahead of God, he, he, would have been, he would have been stepping out and stepping out of the will of God but by faith, he remained behind the Lord. And, 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 and we, see, we see something so small as a response from the king that, that just shows there are so many things that factor into everything we do. And, and there's more than what we can see with our own eyes. So we must remain behind the Lord. So we move on to see that in time and by faith, Nehemiah now requests to leave. He remains behind the Lord, but in verses 4 through 8, he requests a leave. And by the way, it takes faith to do that when you think about a king and a cupbearer and, and the, those positions in the relationship. Verse 4, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appeared which appertained to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Sometimes God makes a way of rolling out the red carpet in situations for us. It's not always that way, but sometimes he does that. And, and it's very sweet. The king is basically asking Nehemiah here, what do you want? What do you need? That was very rare. That would be unheard of for a king to say that to his cupbearer. And then, and then before Nehemiah answered, it says Nehemiah prayed. You know, is that just a quick pause before he gives that answer? You know, if so, probably so. If that's the first time he prays, things probably aren't going to go well. But Nehemiah has spent four months in prayer. He spent four months talking to the Lord and, 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 and wanting to be able to fulfill this burden on his heart. So now things are starting to surface and he gets asked this by the king. 
So, so that prayer might have been something like, okay, Lord, this is what I've been talking about for months. Help and bless right now as only you can. And then he goes into responding to the king. He prayed, and then he asked the king about going and rebuilding the city. And he, and he asks about doing this in a very wise way. By the way, that takes a lot of faith. Even, the, you know, for his countenance to be sad before the king, that could have been trouble right there. But now he's trusting that God is opening the door here. So the king is asked, and, and Nehemiah is answering, and he's talking about his burden for Jerusalem. And, and when you think about every aspect of that, that, that takes faith for him to go forward and do this. So four months has gone by, and he finally, after invitation from the king, which, which no doubt God is working out and unfolding, he gets to share his burden before the throne of the king. And though it takes faith to do that, there's some peace here for Nehemiah because he has been before the throne boldly of the Lord his God for four months before being able to act upon this burden. Artaxerxes has finally seen something in his countenance that says something is burdening, burdening his cupbearer. But the Lord has been looking on Nehemiah's heart the whole time. And he knows what's going on in his heart. The Lord knew how Nehemiah felt about the city and his people. And so what a special time that was when Nehemiah was waiting upon the Lord and doing all kinds of things to prepare Nehemiah for this for the steps that are going to take place in this. Nehemiah is able to respond to the king very wisely by asking what he should do about this city. Well, here's my situation, king, and I'll lay it before you. That's a wise way to approach a situation. Sometimes we, we can approach a situation with the same heart wanting the same thing done, but the angle we approach it from can make all the difference in the world. And, and this obviously aroused the king's sympathy as, as opposed to telling the king, well, this is what I need to do, and I'm going to go off and, and do this. I, I don't think that would have gone over very well. But Nehemiah prayed, he had been praying, and God helped Nehemiah to plan his approach. Because Nehemiah was never planning to disrespect his employer. And so God was helping him to plan this approach of the king. Uh, he had the help of God to do that. And, and he's welcomed by the king's request, by the king to request to be sent. And, and then he goes on, to request letters of introduction for the traveling he's going to do. He wouldn't have thought about that right there in the moment, moment and had that burden on his heart and just taken off. Hey, that can be a risky travel. That can be a dangerous travel. And, and, and so as, as this transpires and continues on, he asked for letters of introduction that he might have safe travels along the way letters of authority for materials that he will need from the kingdom to be able to rebuild and repair the temple, to be able to rebuild the walls. He even knew the name of the one he was to go to, Asaph. And so God has helped him plan all of this out. God has been working this out while Nehemiah remained behind the Lord so the request of leave, it couldn't have been more smooth because of the planning, because he didn't get ahead of God, because he waited upon the Lord. As we go forth to serve the Lord, we do so by the authority of the Lord. And, and therefore, we don't have to serve in fear. 
we can serve confidently when we go forward in His authority. At the same time, it does us no good to disrespect the world as we go. That's a, that's a lesson I had to learn, and, I, and I'm sure I, I've told you all about getting saved on a job. I, right in the middle of my tenure, I worked at a job 14 years, and I got saved right, right in the middle of, of my time there. Seven years as an unsaved man, seven years as a saved man. And at first, I, you know, I, I thought I should be treated the best. I mean, we're, we're, we're young Christians, and, and we're growing, and I thought that I, that, that I was going to have the best favor on the job and all of this, and that, and that you know, I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, but there's something there to, to some thoughts that were out of place. And so we learn a great lesson from Nehemiah here. Nehemiah is a great example about how we should relate to the unsaved. He respected the king and requested approval from him for the work that he wanted to do in Jerusalem. This is something that God has laid on his heart. The Lord has appointed him and given him the burden to go to Jerusalem to rebuild and restore the city. But he goes to the king and he requests his, his approval because this work is within the empire. So he goes to him. Don't get me wrong. When it comes down to whether we should obey God or obey man, we should obey God. But it would have been very unwise for Nehemiah to say, and it would have been very taxing upon him in trying to get to the job he wanted to do, to say, the, the Lord has appointed me to this king and I'm going whether you like it or not because my Lord is sending me there. That, that wouldn't have helped. Nehemiah engaged wisely with the king and by his response, we see the sovereignty of God throughout this. We see that God is using King Artaxerxes here. You think about the children of Egypt of Israel in Egypt, and you consider how God used Pharaoh to show the power of heaven there. Let us remember that God can use anything and anyone He wants to get His will done through us. God will use the unsaved for, for the sake of His child for the sake of his children, for his glory. Nehemiah waited upon the Lord, and the Lord worked all of this out within him, so he didn't have to approach the king as fighting the king. He could respect, he could give respect to the king, knowing that God can do whatever he wants to do with a king that knows him, and even with a king who doesn't know him. So he didn't have to fight this, this situation. Nehemiah is able to request his leave with no problem because God has been working things out and Nehemiah has been waiting on God to work things out in God's way and in God's time. We see in verses 9 through 20, we'll just, I'll just call this, he reached out for laborers because we find help along the way. In, in the closing verses of this chapter. And so we see the commute in verses 9 and 10 to Jerusalem. It says, Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. How about this? For the way Nehemiah has respectfully dealt with the king. He has a police escort on the way to Jerusalem. 
the dangers that could come. We read of a couple of fellows here, and they're not alone in, in people who are going to be upset about somebody going to help the Jews and to rebuild that city. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah had an escort. He was doing the Lord's work, but the Lord used what the king could do through his authority in the land to help it. He, by Nehemiah going to the king, this makes it official business of the kingdom in, in the king's eyes, in Artaxerxes' eyes. So he had laborers for the commute. He had those who were helping him and leading the way. This helped out with his arrival to the city because of those enemies who would be waiting. Verse 10 tells us of two. And then when we get down to verse 19, we see that the enemies grow to three. They bring in another, and that's a main one. And there, there are definitely several more uh, who are against the project. Nehemiah is headed there, and there are those who oppose this project of rebuilding the walls. There's, there are opposers on the outside. You might think of compromisers on the inside who, who are buckling, who, who aren't willing to stand up to the challenge when the, when, when the heat gets turned up. So the, the commute alone was challenging, but, but God supplied help even, even through the king. Now let's look at the contemplation in verses 11 through 16. Nehemiah says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose... He, he got some rest first. I came to Jerusalem after that long, that long journey and was there three days. Rest is important. And, then, and, and I arose in the night after that, I and some few men with me, Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain... And to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went, or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. We see a leader in his contemplating, in his, in his quiet inspection of what he had already learned of. He already had a picture painted of it by way of a report. But he goes out, and he goes out quietly. He goes out at night, and... And he doesn't tell anybody what he's doing. No one is able to know by his steps what he's doing. And he gathers his facts. And he puts together his strategy with the Lord. I was an electrician helper in my early 20s. And, and I like for somebody to line me out on the job with them. And, 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 and my, my senior electrician get to work. And he puts me to work. And we... And, and we just go to town, and I, you know, I, I want to get it done. I want to have an easy afternoon, maybe, before we leave, and I, I don't want it to go over, you know. I'm, I'm, I'll be ready to leave at 3.30, and I like getting right after it, and, and that's what most of us did. And then all of a sudden, it usually happened on a job. Oh, no, we made a mistake on this 120 foot of EMT pipe we, we run, and you've got to take that down, and we've got to run that over here. And I had to go back and redo what, what we tore into to do. There was a service truck driver I rode with, and, and he liked me for some reason and would request me, and, and I didn't like him very much. It wasn't him. It was his process of work at first. 
that got to me. We would, we would arrive at, uh, from the service truck onto the job site, and he already knew generally what he was supposed to do. And he would walk around, and he would look, and it looked like he was looking up in the air thinking of nothing sometimes. He actually would look at me and say, I'm not doing nothing right now. I'm getting this all figured out, okay? Just, just bear with me. But on every job, it would be 30 minutes to an hour before we would do a single thing when he had the job order and he knew basically what we were going to do. But he looked it all over, and then when we got started, we never had to redo anything. And the work went so smooth, and it went so quick, and, and he knew of the obstacles ahead and he was making adjustments back here. And, I, and I'm saying, why are you doing that? He said, because look up there. The, my boss didn't notice it, but look what we're going to have to do, going, going around this obstacle up here or whatever. And everything, I, I learned to, to actually like him and like working with him. And, and I just endured that, that 30 minutes or that hour of waiting there. You would think somebody young in their 20s who gets to stand there and earn an hour's wage doing nothing would be fine but I was just ready to get after it. But I became content in his planning and his preparation and how smooth the work went. A good leader doesn't rush into the work, but patiently gathers the facts and, and trusts the Lord to be helping to make the plans to come about. A wise leader knows when to plan, and then he knows when to talk, and then he knows when to work. Nehemiah witnessed the very ruin that was reported to him. That, and, and so look at the situation he's going into. And that, that says something about, else about us in, in leadership or cooperation and partnership together in things. Facing the facts, accepting the bad news, as well as the good news, he could then see the potential through the problems. You know, if there are problems, we, we can't ignore them. We've got to make our plans through the problems. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. And so in verses 17 through 20, we're going to take a look at some courage and we're going to take a look at some conflict. Then said I unto them, after his contemplation, after he'd been out all night, and, and factoring everything in, then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. They said, the people, the people Nehemiah went to, they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build. But ye have no portion, no right, no, nor memorial, in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah observes the situation. He, in, he inspects it and he looks at all the ruin. He looks at all the work ahead and he responds to this positively to the people. He lays out the problem. He, he lays out the condition that, which is already known, but he, but he lays that out and then says, Let's do this. Let's do this work. He, he appealed positively. He focused on how great his God is, and he glorified him. 
He identified himself with the people, you notice, just as he had done in his prayer back in chapter 1. You know, this, this ruin of the city, it came about because of the sins of Israel. But Nehemiah had said, forgive us for our sins. And, and then he says, uh, verse 17, Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in. Get in underneath and bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Nehemiah is in it. That, when we're going to act by faith, when we care, and when we're going to act by faith, we are going to be in it with everyone. We are going to bear one another's burdens. And that's exactly what he did. He identified himself with them. And the hand of the Lord was with them to enable them to do the work. God worked in Nehemiah's heart to give him a burden. God even worked in King Artaxerxes' heart to give Nehemiah a blessing. God will use anyone. And the Lord worked through it all bringing Nehemiah to Jerusalem and convincing the Jews. They had been doing their same thing. Things were rough, things are tough, but maybe they were thinking they had no hope. Maybe, oh, we're just, we're, we're hanging in and surviving. What else can we do? We're just going to keep doing this. God helped Nehemiah to convince them that it was time to rebuild. He Verse 18, then I told them of the hand of my God which was upon me, which was good upon me. And, and toward the end of verse 18, the, the Jews said of the of Jerusalem said, Let us rise up and build. God is working in every aspect. We don't realize everything that goes into ministry work. We have got to slow down and remain behind the Lord. And let him call the shots and the timing. You know, they said, okay, let's go rebuild the wall. It's time. Let us go now. What could they have said? You know, they could have brought up the past failures. You know, because they actually tried to rebuild before. And, and it didn't go well. It didn't get finished. And so they could have been very negative about it, but they weren't. When we remain behind the Lord... He knows how to put every piece of the puzzle together. He knows how to cause ministry to operate like a well-oiled machine. Some of the greatest advice I was ever given as a young preacher is a fellow looked at me, and a, a, a fellow, a, a man, an older man I respect, and, and he said, understand this, you're just an un, going to be an under-shepherd. The, the church is the Lord's. It's ultimately His responsibility. Man, that helped, that helped a whole lot. When we remain behind the Lord, He knows how to put every piece of the puzzle together. He knows how to make it operate well. This was a new quest of Nehemiah. Uh, it was a new quest he brought with him. And he comes into the Jews. He's hundreds of miles away, remember? And Nehemiah comes on the scene, and, and he comes to these Jews. And you know, sometimes Christians aren't very receptive to change, even if it's good. There, there's, there's sometimes not a, not a great reception to change. Even Baptists, supposedly, we have, we have a reputation for that, that we don't like change very much. And by the way, I don't like change just for the sake of change. I like change when, there, when, there's a, when there's a good need for it, when, when, when God is in it and He's moving and He's bringing it about. But, I mean, truth be known, some people don't like change, even when it's adding to the church sometimes. It, it appears to me that, that every member of Lakeway is thrilled when, when the Lord adds to His church and, and praise God for that. That's exactly how we should be with additions to the membership. You know, but you think about when someone joins a church, I, 
I don't think the Holy Spirit's not going to lead someone to join the church saying, man, they need some change and I'm, I'm going to get my name on the roll and I'm going to make it happen. When, when somebody is moved by the Lord to join the church, they, they want to be a part of what's going on. They, they like what they see that's going on and what's going on and they want to support it and they want to be part of it, not, not to change it. But, and I'm not getting off track. I'm, I'm getting somewhere here. Here, Nehemiah has approached and come into Jerusalem with these Jews. And, and so let me say this. That, that's not to say, like in the here and now with, with others, that's not to say that their fresh perspective on things isn't valuable. It can be very valuable. And we see the way God uses Nehemiah. God brings Nehemiah in, and the Lord gave him a great vision for the work that was to be done. The good hand of God was upon Nehemiah. And, and so the Jews strengthened their hand in the work. We see leadership and partnership in this ministry work getting started successfully now with Nehemiah and the people. And we don't just see the work getting started. We see a will to work. That makes all the difference in the world. You know, the church at Ephesus, they were working. They were doing everything that, that, that they should have been doing, and they were doing it right, except for the fact that they had left their first love, that they weren't doing it in, in love and in, in a desire and a will. We see leadership and partnership coming together, and we see a will to work. Nehemiah challenged the people, and he stood up, and he also stood up to the chiding of the enemy. We read of those three in verse 19. So, so here, they, here they are. They're getting started in the work. And then we see the enemy in verse 19. They, they heard about it. They laughed. They despised. They questioned in mockery. What do you think you're going to do? Are you going to rebel against the king? Don't we know all too well that when God's people rise up to do a great work, stepping out by faith in the will of God, opposition is on its way. Opposition is going to arrive and try to pry its way in to discourage the work from being done. There, the worker for the Lord who, who is willing to serve Him when it's time, in God's time, when it starts happening, there are going to be those who try to discourage. It, it always happens. And it's ongoing as we, as we learn about this conflict. I, I believe we're going to go ahead and go through it. I'm not committing to this yet, but I believe we're going to go through Nehemiah. And if we do, we're going to see in chapters 4 through 7 a constant opposition that, that is mocking and trying to come against Nehemiah and God's people as they rebuild Jerusalem. There, there's ridicule, slander, mockery, just for starters, you know, any Christian who has ever stepped up to accomplish anything for the Lord, given by the Lord to do in His will, has had to face ridicule on some measure, on some level for it. It just happens. Even Jesus faced tremendous opposition during His earthly ministry right down to taking all of our sins to the cross. And those that wagged their heads at Him on the cross and mocked Him while He was finishing His mission on this earth for the Lord, for, the, for God. The whole, through the whole thing, Jesus, Jesus Himself faced opposition. The Apostle Paul was called a babbler by his opposers. He was, he was said to be beside himself and mad. So here, the Apostle Paul is led by the Holy Spirit doing the Lord's work. 
and, and he's being told by his posers, you're out of your mind. What are you doing? What are you saying? You're out of your mind. The opposition comes. Nehemiah faces opposition. What do you do about opposition? Nehemiah could have ignored it. By the way, that's, that's usually the wisest thing to do. Just simply to ignore it. It's a, it, I'm so thankful that, that, that I was taught that because it, especially when there's, there's, there's not even a hint of substance to it, it just goes away. You feel like you need to do something, you feel like you need to say something, and it just goes away. The wisest thing to do is ignore it. The most unwise thing to do is to debate with our opposers. You know what that does? That, that gives them uh, more opportunity to, to vocalize uh, nonsense, if you will. That's the most unwise thing to do. What Nehemiah does here, it wasn't something to ignore in this case. It says in verse 20, Then answered I them. Sometimes the line has to be drawn and you have to defend. You know, God gave the Apostle Paul the liberty to defend himself for those who said he was an apostle of man. He just, he just got the droppings from the other apostles and, and what he got is of man. And so Paul was able to start out a letter saying, Paul, an apostle of God. That, that, that what he received, he received of God. And he explained the way he was away from, from the apostles for a time. And God took him and God taught him the word of God. And, and, and he, he learned it himself. And so he was able, he was uh, led to take a stand. And here, Nehemiah was led to take a stand. And he, he conveyed something that is just simple with no argument. Look in verse 20, it says, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, uh, we his servants will arise and build. But ye have not no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. He, he let him know that, hey, building this wall, this thing that's going on, this is God's work. And the Jews, the, those who are here, they're God's servants. And, and you... You have no involvement in it. He just kept it plain and simple. And so this kind of starts setting the stage for the work that's getting started here. What might we ask ourselves as we reflect on this and we see such a great example from Nehemiah? Are we the kind of leaders and participators that God wants us to be? Is the work a burden or do we have a burden for the work? And don't get me wrong, let's not beat ourselves up in that, but let's realize that God, God will help us concerning our desire. If we're in a place that we shouldn't be, and we're in a place that we don't like that we're in, God will help us out with that. God will renew us. He will renew our strength. We can get along with God and He can give us a, a great desire for His work. Is the work a burden or do we have a burden for the work? Are we willing to sacrifice so the work of God can be done? Are we willing to sacrifice? Because it's going to take something from us. It is going to inconvenience us, which is a good thing, to do the work of God. We, everyone learns sacrifice in true service. Jesus prepared his disciples for, for the high demands that were to come. And it's the same thing today. Are we willing to sacrifice so the work can be done? Are we willing to do so by faith? Do we just want to go through some motions or do we want it to be right? Do we want to ju jump ahead of the Lord and tell the Lord to hitch on to our ideas? Or will we do as Nehemiah and remain behind the Lord 
and let him line out the work for us to do. I'll tell you what, no, no matter how good or bad a job that, that, that I did with that, if, if, if we can just go and look at this pattern of Nehemiah, how amazing the work of God in his church will continue to be when we don't step ahead of the Lord, when we stay behind him, amen? I, I don't know what it is that God may be laying on your heart tonight, what your burden may be. I would like to encourage you to, to talk to the Lord now. You can talk to him when you get home about it, but, but will we? Will we? What distractions will we face on the way? It's biblical, biblical. We find it in the Bible that an invitation is given after the word of God. And so that is, while God has stirred your heart, maybe stirred your heart with something I don't know anything about, or Pastor Stone doesn't know anything about concerning you, but God is, is working on your heart, and, and He's stirring your heart and troubling it in a good way. And, and so may we obey God and do business with Him tonight as, as we consider ourselves as His people in His work to do it His way to follow him for his glory. Let us pray. Father, we bow before you again. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness. We thank you, Lord, for the power of your word, for the opportunity every single one of us have had or have or will have for ministry. What a great privilege to be able to serve you. And Lord, I thank you that we're able to be bound together to serve you together, one with another, that you might be glorified. There is no institution or organization on the face of this earth like your church. And we thank you for your church. We thank you for leaving it in this world for us and, and for us to be able to serve you and love you and worship you together. Lord, whatever may be on the hearts of your people, I want to thank you that we might have hearts open, that you might do a work in, in our lives tonight, that, that maybe each one of another to another, we, we don't know anything about it, but, but, you're, but you're speaking to our heart without words, uh, not audible, but in a very special way, you're impressing and persuading us. And so I want to thank you for that. And thank you for a time of invitation that we might do business with you. If there's one here who is lost tonight, who does not know the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that they would be saved by Jesus this evening. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.